0: If you have a Bible with you, would you like to find a letter of 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 2? If you've been uh, here with us for a few weeks, you will be quite familiar now with uh, the first few verses of chapter 2, because I've looked at it a couple of times, and we're going to for the third time. So in just a moment, going to read again 1 Timothy, chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 7. I promise we will move on at some point. Thank you for your patience. But there's more to be said. So here we go. One Timothy chapter two. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow on the screen, so do not worry. Here it's here it goes. Paul writes I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and the teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. So again, by way of recap, we have been looking at this passage for a little while. And on the first occasion, we spent some time just considering the importance of praying, uh, the priority of praying. It gets kind of first position uh, amongst all the topics that Uh, Paul wants to address uh, with Timothy and through Timothy uh, with the church in Ephesus, uh, which has been encountering a bit of a dodgy patch. And we pondered, well, maybe that's one of the ways in which it became apparent to Paul when he visited Ephesus that something was wrong. They weren't praying. Or if they were praying, it was in a really narrow way. We'll just pray for certain people. We'll just pray for, for certain situations. Church with a bit of a bunker mentality, hiding away. And Paul is writing to say, I urge then, first of all, this is something that's so vital. A healthy church will be a praying church. That will lead it in other ways too, but that's the starting point. So we considered that, firstly, the, the importance of praying, this urgent call to pray. Uh, last time we considered the faith to pray. In other words, we wanted to consider not just what to do, because sometimes we can trip ourselves up when we think that prayer is a technique, it's a plan, it's a scheme, it's something I need to organise. Well, there's a place for organising our lives and, and so on. But if we start there, we can become discouraged. We can come up with an amazing plan. This is how I'm going to pray. And then encounter that we are actually human and weak and we stumble and we don't always find it easy. And so in this passage, we thought, well let's focus then on on what is true if we're going to if we're going to pray it's going to be because we've raised the shield of faith and faith is reminding us to to remember who is it that i'm praying to what is he like what has he done for us and as we consider that then that we we are kind of raising the shield you know that the battle to pray uh, is kind of it's about starting isn't it Sometimes the battle is just to start, to get going. And we actually, what we find that once we've got going, well, we encounter God's help by his spirit and by his word. We need to raise the shield of faith to start with. So we we focused last time on, on verse five. The very center and heartbeat of the passage, there's one God. I'm praying to the one and only God of the universe. I'm praying to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm, I'm praying to the only wise one, the only sovereign and the ruler over all. I'm, I'm coming into him who lives in unapproachable light. And because there's one God, he's got over everything and everyone. I can bring everyone and everything before him, therefore. And there is one mediator. By the man Christ Jesus, fully God and fully man, I can come before him. I can come and pray. There's grace to pray. So that's what we did last time out. We considered what is true about God. If we're going to pray, here's what we need to remember. Having remembered, having raised the shield of faith, perhaps that's involved then extinguishing some of those flaming arrows from the evil one that try and persuade us not to pray, there are more important things to do. Or something else. Well, I'm disappointed that God hasn't answered all my prayers in the past. Once we've, once we've extinguished those arrows, well, what then? It was right to start and consider what's true about God. And this week we're considering, well, what do we do? What do we pray? What characterizes our prayers? What's our response to the fact that he is the Lord over all? And we're going to consider two things in response to that. What, what do we do? Well, we pray, we've looked at that, this general uh, instruction that comes in verse 1. And then Paul becomes more specific. He says, in particular, pray for kings. So, firstly, that's what we'll consider. Pray for kings and all those in authority. The word kings is literally emperors. Pray for, Pray for the emperor. Pray for emperors and all those in authority. So we could apply this, to praying for the boss at work, praying for your manager, or praying for the headmaster, um, praying for those whose authority you're under and it affects you. But we're going to focus in particular on praying for national leaders, praying for those who lead a nation and who govern. And uh, that, w- if you're uh, from the UK and this is your Your homeland, as it were, where you're praying for the Prime Minister, uh, praying for the Cabinet, praying for a Member of Parliament, praying for the Queen, but also bearing in mind other nations, other leaders, and and maybe the leader of your nation, it's not a a democracy, and and they are more king-like or emperor-like in the way that they exercise authority. You might think, well, I, I don't have a vote, and I don't have much of a voice. Oh, yes, but we can speak we can speak to the King of Kings in regard of those nations as well. So as we work out how we apply this in our own lives, in our own situations for for this nation and other nations in the world, here are a few things to bear in mind. At the time this letter was written, and people in Ephesus first heard it, there were no Christian rulers anywhere on the globe. Just ponder that for a moment. There was no one angling for the Christian vote. Maybe people didn't really get to vote anyway, but if they did, no one was angling for the Christian vote. Uh, and there was no ruler, king, or leader, or emperor at this point, when this letter was written, um, saying, do well, you know what? I, I share some of your values because I grew up in the manse, or I grew up in the vicarage. My, my father was the reverend so-and-so of St. something or other. No leader would have said that. No no leader would have said, I, I share some Christian values. No no leader would be claiming to be Christian. And Sometimes we kind of ponder, does that mean they just have a bit of Christian values in their upbringing, or does that mean that they're actually saved? Are they just going for my vote or something else? At this time, no... No one was talking in those terms. No, no leader was, was claiming to be Christian. Uh, at this time, the Roman Empire was ruled over, something else to bear in mind, by a particularly bad and nasty emperor. His name was Nero. He was a bit of a crazy man uh, and hostile to Christians. So Rome encountered a massive fire that devastated large sections of the city, conveniently enabling Emperor Nero to redevelop the city on a different plan and a different scheme. People started to smell a rat, by which I mean they started to suspect maybe he had a hand in this. And to deflect attention from himself, he found a convenient scapegoat in this Christian community upon whom he turned the attention. I think they're responsible. And in other ways, he was known and renowned for persecuting Christians. It's a family show, folks. I'm not going to mention the details. You can do your own homework. Um, So not just by Christians, but by other historians. He's considered to be among the worst. And when power is concentrated in just one individual, that's what we often see. And we often see that in the world uh, today. So, bear in mind, at the time this letter, letter was read, first read, or first heard, by Timothy and the church he was, um, uh, he was with, believers in Ephesus would have had reason to hate their Roman rulers. And so, as we go through chapter 2 and consider what is the most shocking to our 21st century ears, again, bear in mind, verse 2 would be the most shocking for people hearing this in the Roman Empire living uh, in Ephesus. Pray for kings. Pray for emperors. And pray for, those, uh, for all those who are in authority. And there's a number of ways in which we can apply this for ourselves. I think it would include this, that to pray for kings means giving thanks for them. We can take that directly from verse one, where that general encouragement and exhortation to pray. So we're being urged that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So in praying for kings, we are to give thanks for them. That doesn't imply that we approve of everything that they do or think, or have decided in recent history. But nevertheless, we're giving thanks for them. I think recent history as well reveals that when a ruler, who may have a horrendous number of human rights violations in his portfolio, uh, when a ruler is suddenly overthrown, suddenly deposed from their position, a nation is rarely in a better condition as a result. That we may not approve of Gaddafi, we may not approve of Assad, we may not approve of other uh, of, of Saddam Hussein, but we can consider the effects of what happens when they are immediately taken out of the equation and the chaos that ensues. And I think it reveals to us that living under a bad king may often be better than living under no king at all. When there's just chaos and, and fear and strife. That might sound a bit crazy. I wonder even in our own nation how we understand it. Do we, to give thanks for those who are in authority, it runs counter to a lot of the cultural uh, drift that this nation is in at the moment uh, I forget I think it may have been 2016 you know sometimes newspaper or uh, some television program or other social media uh, things at the end of a year and the beginning of a new one there's this like review of the year here's what happened for good here's what happened for bad here's who here are the celebrities that passed away you know try and sum up what happened in the year and I remember uh one occasion recently, and therefore it must have been 2016. The year being described as the year of anger. 2016 was the year of anger. I kind of pondered at the time. I think a better way of describing it would be 2016, the year of fear. Because when fear is on the rise, when, when a nation, when a people are increasingly uncertain of the future, I think it's fear that bubbles up, and anger is the fruit of that fear we are worried we don't know what will happen and what happens is we're encouraged to pick a side and we're pushed to an extreme so politically are you in the red corner or are you in the blue corner maybe you're in the yellow corner or maybe you're in the green corner but increasingly we're encouraged to to pick a a side and they've moved further apart and now what happens through media and through social media platforms is we kind of set up camp. And it's, it's a bit like warfare. There's this group that we've signed up with. We agree with these guys. We've put them on our fo- Facebook profile. This is the way that I'm voting. And now what we do is we start to share posts and articles. To the, and it's a bit like kind of... We're in this bunker, and now we're taking pot shots at the other side. And I've got an opinion, and I'm going to lob it over. Bang! Yeah, that showed them. And all that we're doing is kind of reinforcing that this is where we are. It probably didn't have any impact at all, but it helped us, in this corner, kind of rally together. This is the cause that I'm voting for. This is what I believe I just can't understand it. How is it possible that anybody could vote with them? doesn't make any sense, whether it's leave or remain or blue or black or whatever. You know, these crazy voting habits that have happened the course of the, uh, in this country in the last few years, taking us by surprise. Socially, culturally, we are encouraged to get into an entrenched position and lob some grenades. I've got some more opinions if that one doesn't land. And if you spot... Um, on a particular social media uh, platform uh, we can use different symbols to respond to what other people might uh, post the thumbs up because we like it the heart because we love it the laughing face because we find it funny Um, and the sad face because it makes us cry and what's the other one angry face beware the angry face it's just, uh, now am I being flippant? Maybe slightly, but I'm just picking on an issue. We're encouraged to think it's okay to, to be angry and wave our angry fist at the other side of the argument. It's a very ambiguous symbol. Are you pressing the angry face because you agree with the post or are you pressing the angry face because you disagree? We're just left to try and wonder but all that's happening is we're encouraged to put our our faith as it were in a certain position and I think that will kill prayer because prayer I think feels like this stepping into no man's land in between all these different ones yeah I'll, I'll vote one way or another but ultimately God this is a mess and our leaders need you but it's uncomfortable to be in no man's land we might even take a shot for it from time to time it might look consider scripture consider all the prophets when were they ministering when their nation was going to pot maybe for a time there was a good ruler often there wasn't and the nation since david and solomon is on the slide What's God doing? And Jeremiah dares, as it were, to step out of the the normal way of thinking in Jerusalem. And he's in no man's land. And he says, I'm praying to God. And I'm seeing something about what God is saying. So we are going into exile. And we'll be there for a long time. And the inhabitants and the kings and the rulers uh, over in Jerusalem say, we don't feel very encouraged by that. So, we're going to lock you up in the stocks. In other words, they've mistaken this lonely prophet in no man's land for the other side. Does that mean you're siding with Nebuchadnezzar? No. It means I'm siding with God. And I'm praying and I'm ministering out of that. And it's really uncomfortable to be here, but that's where God has told me to be seeking God's kingdom seeking god's glory seeking genuine peace and godliness in this land but you've put me in the stocks for it oh yeah we pressed the angry face who does he think he is does he honestly expect us just to allow nebuchadnezzar to rock into town god's at work so somehow that all came from giving thanks for our leaders um It's not picking a side, it's saying in the middle, saying, oh, let's resist the angry button, let's resist, let's be aware of this polarising effect that happens when a nation is gripped by fear and uncertainty. People start fighting battles. In this nation, it might just be online. In other nations of the world, it's obviously literal. People are encamped. People are besieged. They are taking up arms. They're fighting against other people they used to live alongside. And, and, and history shows that so many different times. But we are called to give thanks for our leaders. Because the alternative is anarchy. Anarchy. But here are a few other things for us to to consider. In giving thanks for them, we are also praying for them. We're not praying against them. Now, I'll qualify that, and we'll look at a few scriptures in just a moment. But I think, I want to pray for good health, peace, stability, good guidance, and wisdom for the person who's representing me in Parliament. So finding out who they are and praying for them in those terms. Because we can just make an assumption. We can get really, really passionate, and I'm speaking into kind of UK situation at the moment, but every five years we can get really passionate about who we're going to vote for. It's all over Facebook and there's lots of emotion and we make a decision. Maybe the vote goes our way, maybe it doesn't go our way. And then after the result comes in, we can start to make an assumption. Well, they won't do a good job. So in five years' time, I'll get passionate again. And it'll become interesting to me, and I'll be engaged. But quite frankly, they're just not going to do any good. Or we might make the opposite assumption. Fantastic. They're in. I'm sure they will do a good job. We shouldn't be making that assumption at all. And we shouldn't just think that the only influence we have is a vote every few years. But right now, i want to pray. Whether I voted for this guy or not, or this woman who's representing me in Parliament, I want them to have a peaceful life. I don't want to assume that they can keep their private life and their public life completely distinct. I know, we all know, if a parent dies, there's trouble at school, or someone's really ill in your family, it affects you. So I want to pray... For those who lead, that God would protect them. And God would bless them with good health. God would bless them with stability in their life. And that God would give them the wisdom uh, to govern and to lead and to influence and to speak up. I don't want to just assume it will go one way or the other. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray for them. mentions here in this verse that we're we're praying that that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now that might sound a bit middle class. It might sound a bit conservative. It might sound a bit selfish. Just pray so that we have it easy. Just pray so we can relax. Just pray so that we can still have an overpriced cappuccino or something. Now we're not, that's not the target of the prayer. The target of saying, God, I'm praying for these leaders because I want there to be peace. I want us to I want us, the church, to be able to live peaceful and tranquil lives, because I and I I want people living in this nation to be undistracted. If there is chaos, if there is strife, if there is civil war, people have got so much to try to cope with in the here and now, will they hear the gospel? Will they hear a message message of eternal forgiveness? Will they hear hope or will they just have to shelve it because there's so much going on. There's a hurricane, there's, there's, there's a civil war, there's an election, there's, there's, there's bloodshed, there's riots, there's re- revolution. We're praying for people to lead well so that a whole nation is governed well so that people can hear the gospel and so people can respond to it. It's a gospel-centered prayer. And therefore, I think as we pray as we pray for them, as we pray for our leaders, there are a few scriptures for us to, to bear in mind. One would be Romans 13, for example. Obviously, there, there are loads of places we can be encouraged by in terms of prayer itself, like going to uh, Jesus teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer or, or reading other letters from Paul and we get to see what he's praying about. But let's, uh, let's allow our prayers also to be encouraged uh, characterized and influenced by passages like this romans 13 verse 1 everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which god has established the authorities that exist have been established by god so if you're from zimbabwe allow that to flavor your prayer lord i don't know what to think of of robert mugabe but I'm still going to thank you that you have appointed authority and I pray God that you use him and you work through him for the good of this whole nation. Or praying that for Theresa May. And praying for, that, for, for others. I don't, we're praying for God's kingdom to come in the United States of America. Oh, I couldn't possibly pray about or for President Trump. I just think he's awful. We're just waiting for the next one to come through. No, you pray. We pray. And we we trust in the sovereignty of God. Even if we don't think the ruler of this nation or another nation amounts to much or is very godly, I think we've got a responsibility to come out here in no man's land and say, God, be at work. I lift these up to you. I even thank you for them. And I pray for your leading uh, through them in order to bless a nation. We're keeping all that everyone in view as we pray for leaders and uh, similarly in uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 Peter will write in verse 17 show proper respect to everyone well yeah but they've got to earn it first haven't they no show proper respect to everyone love the brotherhood of believers fear God honour the king remember peter's writing at a similar point in history there is a ruthless roman emperor who nobody voted in and he's creating persecution and havoc for the christian community nevertheless we're going to pray and we're going to honor we're going to thank our prayers may also be uh, flavored by other passages in scripture still with thankfulness still with honor still with respect but we don't have to ignore psalm 2 and say, along with the psalmist, in verse 10, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice, uh, and rejoice with trembling. It's flavoring our, our prayers as well. But we're humbly coming before Almighty God, saying, Lord, let your will be done. And if he can sovereignly move through pilots and chief priests, and Herod, to bring about the death of his own son, but from that bring amazing blessing for the whole world. Who am I to say you can't use President Trump, Theresa May, Robert Mugabe, and somebody else? We're praying praying for them, and we're praying for the kingdom. That could involve also praying for a change of hearts not just assuming of course they'll be bad and of, or of course they'll be fine but bringing them before God the scripture gives us examples of nasty kings who didn't change or nasty kings whose hearts were hardened like Pharaoh but it also gives us examples of nasty kings whose hearts were changed consider Nebuchadnezzar he with ruthless efficiency, besieged and overwhelmed loads of territory, loads of cities, loads of different nations, putting thousands to the sword, creaming off the best talent and taking them back to Babylon. Here is the ruler who didn't think twice before commanding that the flames be made hotter. Because these three Jewish men over here have refused to bow down to my statue. Right, make it really hot. Throw them in. And even the the, the guards and the soldiers who did that, who threw them in, themselves perished because of the heat. This, this, well, crackpot, hothead, ruler, of a massive empire. Oh God. I can't pray for him. Well you wonder. Daniel we're told. Prayed three times a day. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop praying. Even under threat. In the future. With a different king. I wonder what was he praying. As he served Nebuchadnezzar. No doubt he was praying. Help me to govern well. We know that he prayed. God reveal to me the dream that he's just had because he's threatened to kill all his staff after a bad night's sleep. That's hard. He didn't just want the meaning of the dream, he wanted them to tell him the dream he had. You're crazy, quite honestly. We better pray. But look, it wasn't praying against. Even in that situation, I believe it was praying for. And what do we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life? God humbled him. And perhaps we could also say he humbled himself before Almighty God. And did you realize in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar himself has written scripture that's been included in this book? In chapter 4 and verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the power of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? This ungodly ruthless man actually met with God and I'm not sure but I ponder there is a reasonable chance we will encounter him in glory perhaps wow God can change people God can change the emperor God can change the king God knows how to deal he's the king of kings isn't he he's the lord of lords Nothing and no one is beyond his, his rule and his power. So let's pray, aware that God sovereignly can change people's hearts. Let's also pray, knowing that even his sovereignty is not restricted by people who don't change at all. Not aware that King, uh, Emperor Nero had any great change of heart. But God is still the King of Kings and the lord of lords i'm sure living under roman rule must have been challenging but they built a lot of roads and they kept peace in a massive territory so i think paul could say i thank i thank god for these roman rulers because i can move about so easily and there's common language and okay it's not like high speed broadband but i can get around And the gospel spreads. So even an unholy ruler, against their will or their understanding, can be used by Almighty God to bring about his purposes for his gospel and his church on planet Earth, even if it is uncomfortable to be a Christian from time to time, even if we are aware we're living in no man's land and we could take a hit from one way, one direction, or another. See, as I've been looking at this, passage, I've had this imaginary conversation in my mind. In the waiting room on judgment day, history has come to its conclusion. And the church is having a conversation with the state. And the church is saying, back then... 2017 why didn't you listen why did you get so caught up in party politics couldn't you be more collaborative couldn't you deal more quickly with that injustice couldn't you have set things up better for the future generations couldn't you have intervened but with more humility where's righteousness why do we have to look at so many different scandals Why couldn't you sort out your private life as well as govern well in public? And we could bring all those kind of things, all those kind of questions. And I think maybe we would be justified in asking that. But maybe in this imaginary conversation, the state would be justified in saying, And why didn't you pray? We didn't even believe in the God that we're about to meet. You did. You do. Why didn't you pray? So we have a responsibility to pray for them because they have a responsibility before God, given by God, to govern well. So let's pray that they do a good job. Let's pray for peace. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's pray for change of heart. Let's pray in light of the sovereignty of God. But also we've got to go on and just see what else are we to do briefly before we close. Clearly the passage is about praying. The crystal clear instruction that Paul gives is I urge you, church, to pray. And I'm urging you specifically to pray for rulers. That's the really clear encouragement or exhortation. But if we're going to pray, it's going to affect us. A church motto could never be, or should never be, let us pray and do nothing. Because when we pray, it's going to affect us. And God's going to lead us. And this is what Paul does next. He says, for this reason, because there's one God, because there's one mediator, because there's one way of salvation, pray for your leaders. Because people have to hear of Jesus, and put their faith in Jesus. So let's pray they do that because these leaders govern well and there's peace. And also, for this reason, because there's one God, because there's one Saviour, because there's one way of salvation, God has appointed me to be a herald. Can you see what he's doing? The first thing, he's giving us the instruction. Notice that he now doesn't give us an instruction. He doesn't say, come on, church, buck up your ideas and be missional. He's saying, by the grace of God, by his work in me, he has appointed me. This is what I'm doing. You pray and it moves you. We pray and God does stuff. We pray in line with the heart of God and it affects our heart as well. I've been appointed to be a herald. I've been appointed to be an apostle. I've been appointed to be a teacher. Notice who, too? The Gentiles. Another way of saying, everyone. God cares for everyone. Christ died so that everyone might respond. Therefore, I'm on the move. I've got to go. I've got to keep going. There are nations to reach. There are people that God cares about, and I want them to hear about Jesus. I want them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Therefore, this is my example. This is what I'm doing. I'm not telling a lie. God really has sent me to the Gentiles. And so maybe that's a point for us. Not to feel hammered. Oh, by some heavy instruction, do more, do more, do more. But God, what would you have me do? Herald, we might not feel like an apostle. We probably aren't. We might not feel like a teacher. Maybe we are. But we can all be heralds. You know what herald was in Roman days? Glorified messenger boy. Because when Caesar and his armies won a battle... They would send heralds out everywhere, left, right, and center, to go and spread the word, to go and take the good news so that everybody might know. He's won. He was victorious. There is good news for the entire kingdom. And Paul's saying that of himself. I've been sent as a herald. I am carrying the message of good news and I want others to know about it. And and look, the, the starting point is prayer. And a healthy church will be a praying church. And a praying church will be then an active church. Not because they have had the finger wagged at them, because God's at work and they're responding. And if we follow Jesus and if we pray the kingdom come and if we pick up his specific encourage, encouragement that pray that more workers might be sent into the harvest, there's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Dear Lord Jesus, I care so much. Would you please send somebody else is the way we attempted to pray. Now sometimes we can feel overwhelmed, can't we? You might have mentioned last time. sometimes the thing that puts us off praying is we kind of think there are more important things to do. Sometimes the thing that puts us off praying is there's just so much. I don 't know where to start. Lord, oh, I don 't know. Help me find a car park space today. Help me with that meeting. Help this, help that. That's about as far as I can go. Because we almost feel overwhelmed by another hurricane or another catastrophe or another nation, a whole people group with no home. What can, we, what can we do? What am I supposed to do about it? Well, pray and allow him to lead us. He's not saying to the individual, go and save the planet. He's saying to a church, a, big, a community of believers, pray. Pray. But as you pray, listen. And as you listen, be prepared to go. And that might be sent, being sent out to other nations, or just increasingly waking up to the fact there's nations on the doorstep anyway. God's appointed where everybody on this planet lives at particular times, so that our neighbors might call out to him, perhaps. So maybe it's about that. Just daring to invite that person over for a cuppa. Just. Giving some indication, I'm carrying this good news message. What the world will do is to encourage us to camp out and complain and start throwing stones at the opposition. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Goodness me, it's shocking. It's not wrong to kind of take part in that kind of conversation, but as long as we're aware, actually, I'm a little bit, I'm coming from a slightly different place. You see, for me, God is king. So I believe that he cares about those people even if, you, even if I might feel tempted to throw a stone we've got, we've got to come out from those bunkers we've got to come out from the angry face you can use it if you like but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at a heart issue don't allow fear in our society or in your society in this nation or in other nations squash you into just an angry earth dweller no, I'm a citizen of heaven. And sometimes it's painful to be a citizen of heaven. Sometimes it's awkward. We feel like Jeremiah. I'm in the st- I've been put in the stocks. I'm being totally misunderstood. But I'm still believing, ultimately. Maybe it's even in 70 years. I may not get to benefit. Our part to play might be in the midst of a nation that's on the decline. Oh God, we want comfort. No, God, I want your kingdom it's necessary for you to strip things away, to bring about your kingdom, I'd rather that was happening and it's really difficult than I can just always drink a cappuccino on a Tuesday morning. I want the kingdom of God. I want the gospel to bear fruit. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the leaders of our nation. I'm going to pray for other leaders. I'm going to pray for the kingdom of God. I'm going to believe it's through mundane church that he wants to impact the world and my neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.